They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Soul the Podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. My guest today is Nicolette Lazarus. Nicolette describes herself as a midlife woman with a 100% record of getting through bad days, something she, th- she thinks we all should remind ourselves of when facing those challenges we all experience that we never think we would get through. Originally from the UK, Nicolette has lived in Amsterdam with her partner for over 16 years and now considers the city to be her home. As a people person, she's passionate about genuine human connection and exploring the things that we often collectively experience as women and yet do not talk about. This has led her to uh, to leaving her previous career and comfort zone, the world of advertising and communications that was her home, to focus on her passion bringing women together in allyship and positive support of each other, regardless of race or religion and other forms of diversity. So she created Womanship, based in her belief that women hold the key to make the world a better place for all. In this episode, Nicolette tells us her very own story by taking us on a journey through her life, emphasizing that we are many things and that pigeonholes do not define us. Her story leads us towards the founding of womanship and what happened before it, in between, and what is happening now. I hope you enjoy listening to Nicolette and her story, because stories are what binds us together. Welcome, Nicolette. Welcome to Soul, the podcast. I'm very happy that we are here today together. Thank you so much, Stella, for inviting me to be part of this. Um, I've been a huge fan of your podcast. I think you got me from the opening credits with that fantastic quote, they tried to bury us, they didn't realize that we were seeds. I mean, it's such a great uh, metaphor for life and one that I really, you know, admire. Um, So, yeah, I'm honored that you um, were speaking today. Thank you so much. Yeah, actually, maybe before we actually start, I remember uh, receiving a message uh, from you at the beginning when we met saying that you sit in the bathtub and you listen to salt. And it was so nice for me because, of course, as a, as a podcaster, you love receiving these kind of messages. I have people who listen to salt when they clean, others when they go on a run. So it was really nice to see, oh, she is having a bath. She's relaxing with, with the salt, the podcast, you know. So thank you so much. It's, yeah, um, it's an this. amazing addition to those times. It really is. And such wonderful guests. So as I said, you know, I'm really honored to be here. Yes, me as well. And um, yeah, tell us a little bit um, about yourself. Share something with the audience as a bit of an introduction, warm up into the conversation. So my name is Nicolette Lazarus. I am 55 years young. I think I've been sent here to give young people the hope that life actually gets better as you get older. Um, I'm a daughter, a sister, a partner, an auntie, a friend, and all of those things I value really deeply. My parents are from Jamaica, and I grew up in the UK. Um, I have amazing parents and um We were the only black family in a very white area, and they really gave me so much support and the messages that I could do anything that I wanted to do. I could achieve anything in my life and never to let the color of my skin hold me back. And I'm so thankful for them for that. I have a degree and an MBA and had a successful marketing career for many years, although that was also slightly tough, I guess, because of um, the color of my skin and, and the type of world that we were working in. Um, I moved to the Netherlands, to Amsterdam 16 years ago, and um, depending on who you ask, um, different reasons. So with you, it was for love, but I also had a job as well. I love the sun. I love water. I love dancing and music. I often have a soundtrack playing in my head 
um, with a track that is the perfect track for the moment in time that I'm going through. People think that I'm an extrovert, which I find quite strange um, as I'm actually quite an introvert most of the time and I suffer from imposter syndrome. I'm passionate about human connection, especially when it comes to women and bringing women together. I'm a recovering shopaholic and have a bit of a creative streak. So in my past, I've also had an accessories brand called Alpha Lazarus, where I bought um, accessory products to the market from design to end product. Yeah, and I think that's it for now. Thank you so much. What I, what comes to my mind right now, because I always say that we are many things and I'm very much against putting people into boxes. And I always say we have to be willful about it, that we are many things. And um, one day you sent me a presentation that you gave and uh, it was a presentation with pictures and it was a presentation um, about your life. And while I was listening to you, to your story and watching the presentation, there was a photo that you put into the presentation. There were many, but there was this one specific photo that when I saw it, something happened. It really went straight to my heart. You really got me with that photo on so many levels. And I was like, here we are. This is Nicolette. This is the Nicolette that she's trying to bury or not to show or something happened when I saw that photo. So I want to start with a photo. Obviously, our listeners do not see it right now. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you will be able to, to see it there. Um, and if you follow Nicolette on Womanship, you will also see it there. But maybe you can describe the photo and also share with us, because we want to unravel a little bit your story. What do you see when you look at this photo? What does this photo mean to you? So if you could first describe it and then tell us what this photo means to you. Thank you so much for liking the photo. It, it means a lot. Um, it was a challenging one to get. And basically, I needed some headshots done for presentations and speaking gigs. And I didn't have any recent ones. So I contacted somebody who I knew years ago. And um, she said, oh, I don't do headshots. I do personal branding. And it was the most amazing journey with her where we discussed the things that I wanted to portray. She gave me amazing ideas and we had so much fun doing it. I'd recommend her to anybody. Her name is Christine Estorian um, in Amsterdam. And she had this idea. She'd seen this shot of Viola Davis. And basically it's a shot where uh, my arms are surrounding my um, head with no makeup on and not trying to show the vulnerable side. And it was very much what she saw in me and what she saw in what I'm doing with Womanship, my current project. And she really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I think the strangest thing with that photo is I suffer from what's called aphantasia, which means that I don't dream in pictures. If I close my eyes, I have no image of what I look like. Um, and it's a very strange thing. So I dream in emotions, for example, if I can't describe myself to a police sketch artist because I've got nothing visual that comes to mind. But it's really strange. This photo is probably the one photo that I look at and say it portrays bits of me that I actually recognize. So it was a really interesting journey to get there. And um, I think it just displays openness and vulnerability and hopefully honesty and integrity in some ways. Yes, totally. And you're also, you were naked when you took that photo? Yes, just yeah. the top half. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that also, like like what you said, no makeup, straight your face in the camera. It's really the beautiful you. I think it's you, this photo. It's it's Nicolette, really raw and deep and, and honest and vulnerable. So... Yes, I will, I will always she did a good job. <laughs> I'll always thank her for pushing me out of my comfort zone because, you know, I've never liked myself in photos. And that session, I ended up with so many photos that I could have selected in such a wide variety of looks and feels, but all of which represent me. So, yeah, she's amazing. Nice. Thank you. And, um, of course, we are on a journey here right now. So we... we We'll take this photo and um, 
you also said to me that that in your life um, you always stood out and that had an impact on your life and you were always looking for approval. You mentioned imposter syndrome. Would you like to elaborate on these things? I'm mentioning them all together because I feel they're interconnected. Um, can you share a little bit more um, with us about this? Definitely. So, um, as I said, we were the only black family in um, a very well-to-do white area. Um, I consider myself now to be privileged black, which is a term I don't think many people have used and understand. But I always stood out, you know, in my school photos, there's always one black child positioned in the middle, and that was me. Um, and I had an amazingly happy childhood but I always felt slightly out of place. At school, I remember at age 16 being made head girl, and it was this feeling of, have they made a mistake? Is this really me? Um, you know, in sports, when I did something, you know, good, I thought, was it a fluke? Um, I've always felt that people are watching me and what I do is really important. And that if I make a mistake, it stands out so much more than if somebody else makes a mistake. And that's something that's followed me my whole life. Um, even to the point now I sit here and I have that talking head song um, in my head, you know, how did I get here? And it's this constant feeling of questioning myself, of um, questioning who I am, not really knowing, not having a fixed impression of how I appear to myself, let alone to other people. Um so although I can be confident and can put on the confidence act, often I'm quite insecure internally. Yes. And something happened, though, that you made certain steps to because you describe this and it's a part of you and, and you say it's still a part of you, but you didn't stay in that. You made certain decisions. You made certain steps. You went on a journey. Um, you cut with certain ties, you spoke up in certain situations, and that all led to the creation of, of womanship. And we will talk about this in a minute. So tell us from, from the feeling people looking at you, maybe, um, yeah, wondering, am I really doing this well? Everything that you shared right now, what happened in between that then led you to womanship, your project that you will explain to us in a bit? So I think the first thing that really impacted my life from that perspective was changing my view of racism. Um, and having grown up the way that I did, um, I felt that I lived in a racist world. Um, and the thing that really changed my perception on that was when I was at university, seeing the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment that Jane Elliott did. And that really had a profound impact on me. And for those people who haven't seen it, um, this was done many, many years ago by a wonderful woman. And she was a school teacher and she wanted to show her class what prejudice meant or racism meant. And she divided them by eye color. And for one day, she gave the children with brown eyes better privileges, longer breaks, better food, um, and basically put down the children with blue eyes. And in that day, the tensions that erupted in that classroom were amazing. And the next day, she reversed this. And all of a sudden, it was this dawning in my mind that went, if you've been told that Black, um, Hindu, Tutsi, Muslim is wrong by your peers, your teachers, your religious leaders, um, your media for 16 to 18 years of your life, it's very difficult to break out of that. And therefore, people who have prejudice, actually, it's their ability not to think broader than that. And often it's not their fault. And so those people who do have the ability to break out of that prejudice are incredible. And it made me realize that I had my own prejudices that I've been given over time. So, for example, I remember being sat age probably 11 or 12 in a room with my grandmother and her saying to me, um, there'd been a, the report of an honor killing in the newspaper. And she said to me, bearing in mind that I'm black, never marry a man from Africa. She lumped the whole continent together because she said, we've brought you up to be strong and willed and educated. 
And if you disagree with them, they will chop you up into tiny pieces, put you into a barrel, and you'll never be seen of again. So I never went out with a man, quote, from Africa. So this was a really great experience in terms of learning my own prejudices and learning to understand other people's prejudices. So I guess that was the first thing that sent me on my journey in terms of trying to understand other people and what have brought them to the situation and the beliefs that they have, rather than just being critical of them. The other thing that changed who I was as a person was also that I reached my uh, early 30s and realized that I was wearing a huge mask. I was working in the advertising world, very big advertising company doing pretty well, but I realized I'd lost all sense of who I was. I had no idea. I did everything for everybody else. I did what I should do and had no idea of, of who I was inside. And I felt really lost. And this led to me um, leaving my marriage, uh, quitting a very successful career in advertising and um, going traveling for nine months on my own. Now, I've never read the love, eat, pray story, but I think what happened to me was that type of transformation. I was very lucky that during that time I met a man and changed my travel plans to do a mad week-long road trip with him from Cairns to Darwin, disappeared off the grid. This is before mobile phones. And this guy was amazing because we'd have these amazing days traveling through the outback. And then we'd stop at some hick town, you know, nothing there apart from a campsite and one shop. And in the evenings, he'd ask me a question. And I don't know how he did it, but I ended up crying every single night. And it was like peeling back the skin of an onion. He would ask me ask me questions that I'd had swirling around in myself, ask me about the person I wanted to be, ask me things that I'd never told anybody else before. And in that week, it felt like I'd completely transformed. It was, it was. I feel like he was a guru to me and it, I really feel that gurus can come to you in any shape or form in terms of people you learn from. And he taught me some amazing things that have really helped my life be happy now. So, for example, we spoke about love, and he said that when we say, I love you, you say it because you want to hear it back. And it really made me think. And actually being with my partner now, I remember saying to him, I'm going to say something to you, and I'm saying it for me, and I don't want you to say anything back. And I told him that I loved him. And it was the most empowering moment I can describe. And I could see him struggling trying to say something. And I'm saying, no, no, this isn't for you. This is purely for me. And then about a week later, we were at his place and he turned to me and said, you know, that thing you said to me last week, I love you too. And it was just, it was just such an amazing moment and Mm. so powerful Um, And I tell people this because it's important to pass on these messages that we've been given. Mm. Another amazing thing that he did was, was talk to me about arguing. And he said to me that there's certain times that probably the person you love says something to you and your mind does this amazing 360 where it goes through any reply that I have, any tone of voice that I use, anything I say is going to escalate this. And it's weird how your mind works because you know what it's going to do. And he said at that moment, don't say anything. Just calmly walk away, go to the bathroom, you know, go upstairs. And when you've calmed down, come back downstairs because that person will be left with only the words that they said ringing around their heads. And it's so true. I wow. should say this because my partner's going to listen and know what I do now. But every single time I've managed to say that, I've had an apology. It's, okay, again, I will practice that. It's so powerful. So anyway, um, on the at the end of this road trip, um, I was away for nine months, met this guy, fell head over heels in love with him. Then after the road trip, he told me it wasn't love and kind of walked away. And the funny thing that happened after that was coming back to the UK and um, meeting my partner who already lived in Amsterdam and I'd known for a very long time. And he said that I changed. He said that he'd always, quote, fancied me, 
But when I came back from traveling, I was, um, he thought I was high maintenance beforehand, which was never true. <laughs> but he said that there was something in me that changed and our relationship started there. Wow. And that was 16 years ago and um, I couldn't be happier. And, and then you moved to the Netherlands. And then but, I moved to Because the Netherlands. he was already there. He was already there. So he said, why don't you come to um, Amsterdam? And um, this was a time where I started to take more risks and not play the safe road. Uh, it was, it's a bit like The Alchemist, the book The Alchemist, which I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's taking the, quote, unusual decision or the decision that is the more difficult one to take. So in my new frame of mind, moving to Amsterdam wasn't a big deal because it was a case of, What's the worst that can happen? I can hate Amsterdam. I can hate my job. The relationship doesn't work out. And if that happens, then I move back to London and a life that I've loved. So I love taking decisions in that basis now and thinking, what's the worst that can happen? And once you know that, it enables you to, to be slightly braver with the decisions that you do take. Yes. Thank you, Nicolette. And then, and then while you were living in Amsterdam, And then I did some other things. I did some other womanship. <laughs> so um, my womanship journey actually began sitting around a pool in Ibiza in, I think, 2019 with a group of seven of my UK girlfriends. And it was a beautiful place. We were all thinking, you know, we'd done pretty well for ourselves in life. And the discussion turned to what was happening with our bodies in what I now know as perimenopause. And the conversation was fascinating because we all had tiny bits of information we were trying to piece together. And I was absolutely amazed at how little we knew. And when you think that menopause is like death, it's going to happen to you in one way, shape or form. I was just overwhelmed with the feeling of how could we not know more about this? I'd been to my doctor some years before and I told him I thought I was having maybe some night sweats. And he didn't even mention the word perimenopause. He sent me away and said to come back after my periods had finished for 12 months, which is actually post-menopause. So this stayed on my mind. And with lockdown and more time on my hands, I started doing research into what I thought would become a menopause-related project. And it's an interesting journey of discovery, um, finding out, you know, the list of 48 symptoms that a lot of women are not aware of, the fact that it's the most um, over, women are often misprescribed antidepressants because the symptoms can sometimes feel like depression. And it's also the highest rate of female suicide. So it was a huge journey of discovery. But the thing that I wanted to do was talk to the women who are on the cusp of perimenopause. Because once you're in it, there are lots of resources you can actually go to. And so from my marketing background, I decided that that was probably too difficult an audience to actually reach. So I went back to freelancing um, in advertising. But there was something that my partner said to me that I couldn't get out of my head. And he said, I can't believe that given the amount that you women talk, that you don't talk about this type of thing. <laughs> and it just kept going round and round in my head. And I knew that it was the case that women hold so much back, even from their closest friends. But when I talked to him about it, he was like, I don't believe you. And so what he helped me do was put together a research piece, which I'm eternally grateful for, because it was his logical, rational mind working with my emotional one, which actually works very well together. And so I put together a piece of research um, on how women worry. And this was the initial starting point. So I found the results fascinating. Basically, as women, we worry a lot. I think it's 72% of women had a worry or a problem that stayed on their mind in the last week, 40 odd percent in the last 24 hours. And the list of things that we are worrying about is surprisingly similar. So career and finance, sex and relationships, getting older, looking after families, um, illness, those types of subjects. So it's very similar. But re what really shocked me was only 29% of women 
felt they could be completely open and honest about the problem they were going through, and only 21% about how they were feeling emotionally. And that was far worse than I thought. And the reasons for not sharing or feeling open to share are all based around um, society and social anxiety around sharing. So the reasons women don't share are embarrassment, fear of judgment, fear of being talked about, fear of it being used against you, fear of you being the only one, fear of overburdening or burdening others. And there was this light bulb moment that went off in my head that said, hang on, we're fighting for equity. And there's so many great programs at work that are fighting for female equity. But actually, if we're not talking about these really important things, then how do we even understand ourselves as women, first of all, in order to get the equity that we deserve? So uh, in addition, I found out things that like women, just by talking to somebody else, it makes them feel better. I think 74, 75%. And often they'll talk to somebody that they don't know very well because it takes away the fear of judgment and embarrassment. And I realized there's so many things that affect women's bodies and health and minds that we're avoiding doing because of these social stigmas. So, for example, there was a report a couple of years ago in the UK about cervical cancer. And it was really interesting. I think there are two deaths a day from cervical cancer in the UK 80 odd percent, which is preventable through screening. But one out, is it two out of three women don't go for screening? And the major reason is embarrassment. So, how can we be so embarrassed about our bodies and normal bodily functions that we put our health at risk? So, um, <clears throat> that was the start of the story. So, womanship, what I'm building is a platform that has two sides to it. So the first side is a women's community where women can go on, but they can post their questions and concerns anonymously to take away the stigma that they feel around some of the subjects that we need to discuss. There'll also be buttons that are like buttons, but things like I've been there or I support you. And the example I give for this is I have a very good friend of mine and I was going through a big perimenopausal dip. I couldn't speak to anybody about it because my partner wouldn't understand and would think it's about the relationship. My friends would have put me on suicide watch. And she texted me something so simple. And she said, Nick, I know I can say this to you, but do you ever wake up in the morning and think, what's the point? Now, it wasn't like I was going to jump off a high building, but she summed up exactly how I was feeling. And I burst into tears because all of a sudden I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel like I was the only one. And I think that's so important with what we go through as women, because as soon as you start to talk about things, you realize that other women have gone through the same thing. And another great example of this is hashtag me too. We were all suffering. Women were suffering with this. And it took women to start speaking up about it to realize that it's something that all women are experiencing. So I have this huge belief that there's more that binds us together as women across borders, across countries, across religions, through hormonal reasons alone, and that we as women have never come together to talk about these things on that basis. We've never come together across man-made borders to discuss the important things that make us women. And until we understand that and we start backing each other up, then We'll never get the position of power that we need. We will always be in the minority and we will never understand ourselves. So that's one side. The other side is of the platform is wellness professionals. So it's going to be a directory of wellness professionals who are there to provide advice and provide their services, provide content and events. So I'm calling it a wellness marketplace driven by content and conversations. And the final element on top of it, um, women actually find empathy pretty difficult. And that's because it's very rare for somebody in your social circle to be going through exactly the same thing that you are at the same time. So an example would be my sister is a fertility midwife working at private clinics in the UK. And she says that one of the reasons women don't fall pregnant, she believes, on this expensive and difficult journey is because they run out of people to talk with. 
who mm. understand exactly the process. So in the empathy circles, you will be able to come together with five women who and a specialist. So, for example, to discuss IVF with a fertility expert um, or depression or the fact that you've just lost a partner. You'll be able to come together with five other women who are experiencing exactly the same thing that you are to enable you to talk about it. And I think that's hugely beneficial in terms of sharing your experience and exactly where you are. Uh, my example with this would be going through multiple miscarriages and all at 12 weeks. And I remember after the first one being quite a talker, you're not meant to speak about miscarriage at, up to 12 weeks. But my body and my mind had changed so much, I just had to talk about it. And what amazed me were the number of women who I knew who told me, oh, I had one six months ago, or I had one three months ago. And I'm going, why the hell are we not talking about this as women? Why are we feeling that it's an individual failure and keeping it to ourselves and carrying that stress when talking about it with other women going through the same things will validate us all? So in summary, womanship, um, the line is share more, worry less. And I really think that we have the ability to, to change the world by coming together in understanding of each other. Thank you, Nicolette, for sharing all these things with us. One, the first thing I want to say is I never knew the word perimenopause until I met you. So you were the one <laughs> who taught me that word. and. Yeah, that's the first thing. And um, the other thing is um, what you said about, about the sharing. When I started Sold and um, my friends started listening to it, they approached me and they said, many of them said, I feel so different with you now when I listen to the episodes because you share things about yourself. You're more open. I find out things about you that I didn't know about. Another friend wrote me and, and she said, um, through the people that you are inviting on Sold and through the topics that you're addressing, you're also sharing with us your own healing journey, your own story. And I was taught, let's say, taught, and also because of certain things that happened in my life, that you have to be strong, and strong means you don't cry, you don't show softness, you have to be tough. You don't share anything with people. They don't need to know anything about you, so on and so forth. I recognize that so much. Yes. And I say it because of the things that you, that you told me. So I, I, I want to, to, um, to kind of add my story to it because I can identify with it. And, and Salt changed that. My daughter changed it um, and, and, and many other things. And I remember also when I, so I have this, women I have different groups and different women groups but I have this one group uh, that we are all kind of from Greece and, and we meet once a month and in the beginning I was a little bit bored during those meetings I felt like we were talking really superficial and sometimes it was a lot about children and when I was meeting with them I didn't want to talk about children and then at one point I said okay we have to now do other things and then I started mentioning things related to sex or ask them kind of more deeper questions. And since then, when we meet, it's about everything. And we laugh and we cry and we scream and, and, and we interrupt and, and we share like really the most intimate stuff with each other. And it's like a cleansing when we come together. It's like we really cleanse ourselves and, and we listen to each other and we laugh and we encourage and it's super powerful. Um, and this made these encounters so much more beautiful. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's really, really important to, to do this, what you're describing. It's, it's hugely important. And, yeah. um, you know, we're 50% of the population and we're not validated as such. And it's only by coming together in support of each other, we will get that equity. And I think there are things that bind women together in strange circumstances. So, for example, I have a joke that my partner hates And it is, how do you stop war? Give men periods, pregnancy and menopause to deal with. Now, you know, it's, it's okay. Maybe taking, <laughs> digging a little deep, deeper than I should. But I don't think as women, we would send our husbands, our sons, our fathers, our partners off to war as easily as men do. And, and what happened, Nicolette, when you started opening up? 
because then, so we, we heard the pre-womanship story, when then we heard womanship, which is, of course, still a project that it's still under construction, let's say. You're still working on it. Still working. Um, and and, and it's, it, it makes sense because it's a lot of things that you want to, to put together. And if any uh, wellness specialist is listening and wants to join Womanship, you're more than welcome to connect with Nicolette or anybody wants to share their story or be more involved. Um, Nicolette is, is, yeah, is very happy to collaborate, answer questions. But what happened when you started opening up? I think it led, it comes from me starting to peel away these layers and starting to become more open um, and more engaged with people. And I've just found that it's fascinating the people who now come to me and come across my path. It's it's amazing. It's It feels very abundant theory thinking, but I meet the most amazing women on this journey who have the most amazing stories to tell or the most amazing services to offer. It feels that a lot of people now come to me for advice with things like menopause. I feel like I'm becoming the you know auntie which or the crone it's often termed the crone when you come to my age and that's seen as such a negative perception but we Mm. have so much wisdom to impart to help other people live their lives easier and not suffer the same things that we did and that's not through telling them what to do it's giving examples of things that have helped us and perspectives that have helped us so I find now that I meet the most amazing people. I feel I'm a really good judge of character of how things sit with me and that I feel instantly. And I'm much more comfortable and confident in myself and following my passion now, which is bringing women together, because I really feel that it can make a difference. So I feel like I'm I'm growing up. I hope I'll never be grown up fully, but I feel that I'm certainly starting to grow up in my emotional maturity and how I see other people and that drive to to try and do something that I actually think can help because I think women have the power to actually solve so many of the issues that are happening in this world and to make it a better place. And you also, with regard to opening up, you also um, did something else. You wrote an article And you talked about the real extension of myself, my 54-year struggle with my hair. So that was a really interesting one. Um, I have uh, black Afro hair. And the black hair experience is a really interesting one Mm. because I never felt that my hair was good enough. In fact, black people talk about people with good hair. And that's my grandmother talking. It was something that was always said. And that's hair that's more straight. So I did everything to hide my real hair. So I did everything from curly perm, which if you think about going to America and that amazing scene where they move back from the sofa and they're grease marks, that was me, which is very embarrassing when you're dating somebody. Um, I did that. I had my hair relaxed for long periods of times, which involves chemicals, burns your scalp. You're terrified of going out in the rain. You can't go swimming. Everything is about protecting your hair. I would rather walk through London with a plastic bag on my head than get my hair wet. Um, I had braids for many years. Back to the relaxing, I would never have worn my hair at somewhere like Saatchi and Saatchi in London as braids because I felt it looked too black. I already stood out enough and I did everything to try to fit in. So During lockdown, I didn't get my hair relaxed, which was the standard. And then I put it into braids for a long time because there was no point doing anything else. I wasn't seeing anybody. And so my natural hair grew out. And I went to a natural hair um, hairdresser who treated my hair for me and said, you're going to leave here wearing it naturally. And I remember walking through the salon door and feeling like everybody was looking at me, feeling that they were viewing me differently. And bearing in mind that was the first time in 54 years that I'd had the confidence to wear my hair naturally. And I look back on it and it was, I felt ashamed. I felt very confronted by the whole experience. I questioned myself as to why and why our hair isn't deemed good enough. Then you start looking into the fact that Black women spend so much more money. I can't remember the actual um, number, but so much more money on their hair 
than Caucasian women do. And they're often the most disadvantaged in society. So that also doesn't seem to work well in my head. But now, um, now my current hair is natural. I've got it braided back in two. It's still a hell of a lot of work to wear it as Afro. You still have to put tiny twists in so that when you wear it out, it has a natural curl pattern and looks good. So it's a lot of work. But now I have the confidence to actually wear it from time to time naturally. And again, I think that's about embracing my real and true self, my authentic self, and not feeling I have to hide behind what other people see as acceptable hairdos, or I think other people see as acceptable hairdos, and starting to accept that this is me. And you're beautiful. Oh, I thank you. Straight back at you. Thank you, Nicolette, for sharing this. No, I don't want to add anything here. That's There's nothing that I should say. So thank you for sharing it, and I'm I'm really happy. If anybody's you. curious, then um, uh, the article is on LinkedIn. Yeah. And- profile and it talks a bit about the history of black hair and um, I'm certain there'll be some amusing moments for you to read and understand actually what what is involved in looking after um, Afro-Caribbean hair. Yeah I've been part of people's journey like the journey that you just described and um, them deciding to have their hair naturally and um, every time that happens I feel like yes one more. It's it's great. Yeah. People are so complimentary. And I'm almost surprised when people are going, oh my gosh, you're, I've never seen your hair like that. It looks great. And I'm still slightly nervous with that. But then it takes time to, to come to terms with myself. Hmm. And I realize that I am constantly changing. There's never a peak that you reach and you hit that you think this is it. It's always going to be a roller coaster, um, and it's learning to to ride that roller coaster and enjoy the highs because that's what gets me through the lows. Enjoy my ever changing self because it shows adaptability and and variety and exploration things that actually are really exciting by not pigeonholing myself as one thing. And I hope I continue to change. Yes, and and I and I like that you say this now because. Um, of course, w- womanship, it's about women and, and the things that you shared. But I also think it's important, based on the things that you said, that, of course, we are all different. And th- there's something that binds us together, but also um, not all of us um, have experienced or are experiencing the same oppression or the same pain. Or th- That's why I also think it's it's important to realize women are not a homogeneous group, but we have to stand in solidarity with each other. And, and do the things that you described earlier. Yes. And we yeah. are all individual, um, you know, but for example, on the platform, it's all about positive support. Yeah. So my, my view is if you don't understand another woman's perspective or you don't agree with it, if you've got nothing positive to say, don't say anything because you're invalidating another woman's experience. And we have no right. We may not understand it. We may have to listen and learn why they feel the way that they do. But unless we've lived somebody else's journey, we can never criticize the decisions or the positions they find themselves in because it's not our own. And it's that kind of empathy amongst women that I want to collate because so often we feel like we're in competition with each other. And even if we don't understand, as I said, coming together as women is the only way that we will break down barriers. And one of the other things on on womanship that I'm hoping to do is to get women to tell their stories anonymously if they so wish, because I think all women have the most amazing stories of things that they've got through, challenges that they've got through, that they keep to themselves. And most women I speak to say, my God, I could write a book, let alone one story. But actually telling your own story is very difficult. Writing it is very difficult. So we're hoping to come up with ways um, where women will be able to do that more easily, but to keep their anonymity. And I think, you know, storytelling has been something we've learned from since the dawn of time. So we have to tell our stories so that we can get other people to learn from them and see that they are strong enough and see that, my God, I didn't realize she'd got through that, but look at her, I would never have known. Those stories are incredibly powerful and important amongst and they're- 
and, and they're valid. That for me is, is important. Storytelling, personal narratives, they are valid and they are a piece of knowledge production. It's not something to invalidate, you know. Stories and personal narratives are valid and they can initiate so many changes on so many levels. And also for the person telling their stories, it's hugely cathartic to actually yeah. to tell your stories with no filters. And it's amazing how many filters women put in when we're telling a story to sanitize it, to remove that fear of judgment, to remove the fact that so often things I've gone through and I'm thinking, if I was listening to that story, I'm going to be, she put up with what? She did what? That critical voice that comes through. And we all have that. So actually being able to just be completely honest and saying, yeah, I look back on it now and maybe it was a little stupid. Maybe I was a little naive, but now I can tell it honestly and tell you where I am in my life, that the fact that I'm learning from it, that maybe I'm still struggling from things that happened to me in my past, but actually everything that happens to us is part of our journey in life. And everybody's journey is completely individual. However, because of shared experiences, we have the ability to empathize and learn from what other people have to say. Yes. So based on what you just shared with us, what is your favorite book? Since we talk about stories. So we want to know if there is a book that uh, you would like to recommend. So unfortunately, it's not a story book, although it is interesting stories in many ways. And the book is Invisible Women mm -hmm. by Caroline, Caroline Criando Perez. Yeah. And it's amazing. It brings to life how we live in a world that is almost completely designed for men. And the interesting thing about it is it's not just stories. It uses data to bring this information to life. And the statistics that she provides are incredible. So things like we are 47% more likely to die as women in a car accident mm. than men because crash test dummies are built for men. Now, this is something we've known for years, and it's only last year the first car company implemented a female crash test dummy. That's only one, which yeah. I find ridiculous. Things like men are twice as likely to interrupt a woman while speaking than women are men. Um, the fact that 71% of women wear protective clothing in dangerous jobs that was designed for men. It talks about the disproportionate amount of unpaid labor that a woman does in comparison to men that isn't seen as work. It talks about the fact that women are more likely to die from heart attacks because we suffer different symptoms to the very well-publicized ones that men show, i.e. left arm pain, et cetera. Our symptoms are completely different. Um, it talks about how much research there is. It's interesting because it also then talks about data bias and how little big data there is regarding women and the things that we go through. So for example, there's a lot of research into toxicity levels in things like mines, which are male environments, but no research done on what happens when you mix all of the chemicals that, for example, domestic women work with in terms of cleaning products. So it's it basically amounts to systematic discrimination. Yeah. And it's a book that I would recommend any woman read because there are so many things that we do in everyday life that we don't think about that are actually biased against us. And until we start understanding what those things are, how can we fight for them to change? So yeah, it's it's one of those books that you pick up, you read a few pages, you get so annoyed, you have to put it down and fume for a while and think, oh my gosh, how come I never thought about this? How can this be allowed in today's society? And then you pick it up again, hungry for more information. So definitely number one on my reading list. Thank you, Nicolette. What is your question for me, Nicolette? So probably a fairly obvious one, but what does womanship mean to you? Yes. That's another word that you taught me. I didn't know that word before either. So uh, it's a word that I learned again from you. Of course, I will fill it in with my own thoughts, but it, it wasn't a word that I knew before. I knew like comradeship, for instance. Uh, and it's a word that I love and that I use a lot. 
But uh, womanship for me is love. It's community. It's standing in solidarity with each other. It's healing. It's creating. It's about stories, many stories. It's about movement. It's about change. It's feminist, of course. For me, I'm a feminist. And it's it's a coming together. It's, it's a gathering. It's um, realizing that um, by standing together, by standing in solidarity with each other, by listening, by having this community, the, the collective, and by committing to each other, we can create uh, a womanship and we can then reach another level, which is about changing policies, changing systems, changing things. And yeah, that's what womanship is for me. That's really beautiful. Um, it's funny, womanship isn't a word that's in the dictionary and it's something that I've deliberately tried not to define mm. because when you say the word, women tend to have an understanding of what it means and the definitions that I get from women are so beautiful. I, I just love hearing how expansive it is and how all-encompassing it can be. Thank you, Nicolette, for having this conversation with me today. I really enjoyed it. Again, learning more things about you, peeling the onion. I really like the fact that you think in soundtracks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And you, and you showed us, like what I always say, we are many things and, and we have to be willful about it. We should not allow people to put us in a box to pigeonhole us. So thank you so much for this. And for everybody listening, as I said already, Feel free to reach out to Nicolette if you want to work with her, if you want to share what womanship means to you. Nicolette publishes all kinds of videos on, on her social media. If you want to read her story, her hair story, um, which has been published on, on LinkedIn. And if you want to connect with Nicolette, I know that uh, you will be very happy to I'd expand love, and, I'd and love to hear connect with people. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. So thank you so much, Nicolette. Thank and you. thank you, everybody, thank for listening. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, from the moment we met, we've had such amazing conversations. I absolutely love what you're doing and, you know, having a dream and making something happen and something that I think is really important in terms of giving the voice to so many important women who are doing so many amazing things. So I'm honored to have been here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Sagliari and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.